Amen. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you where we acknowledge that you indeed are the only one who can. There are people here this morning, Lord, whether in person or online, that are struggling with something. And Lord, they need a word from you. They need an answer from you. And we recognize, Lord, that it is only you who can. So Lord, enlarge our faith this morning and enlarge our hope as we seek to follow you in faithfulness and in truthfulness. And Lord, as we have bowed our heads this morning to pray, I want to just remember that for many people, this is a season of transitions as we're coming into the last week of August and looking to September. There are parents here this morning who have dropped off adult children to college and university. And for some of them, it's the first time. And Lord, I want to pray uh, for those families. I want to pray for those students that as they begin a season in higher education, that Lord, that you indeed would be with them, that you would keep their faith strong and they would learn well the purpose and the plan that you have for them as they take this road. Lord, for others who have young children, again, they'll be sending them to school. And Lord, I pray that you would keep the schools safe, that you would allow those children a time to flourish and to learn and to grow their faith deeper in you. And Lord, for teachers here this morning, we know that they're preparing for a season of another time in class. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them and allow them to be ready and prepared for another season in front of a classroom. And may they be the hope that those students need as well. So Lord, uh, we're not going to be able to get every season of transition right now. But Lord, we want to commit those who are making a transition of one kind or another to the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you this morning for that hope. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you, everyone. Nice to have you this morning. Good to be here. Are you glad to be here? Okay. Hey, amen. Yeah, amen. See, that's, that's what happens when you have flawed theology, because of the house of the Lord is on a Greek island. <laughs> oh, my. What's wrong with South America? Like, you know, like, like, anyway. Okay, welcome. Uh, <laughs> Researchers claim that we do this 35,000 times a day. Do you know what it is? No. It's make decisions. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first heard that, I thought, what is it? Like, you know, somebody said breathing, and I thought, yeah, it had to be breathing or it had to be blinking. Or, or something really, you know, normal. 
But if we believe what these researchers claim, we're making 35,000 decisions a day. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, when I heard that, I thought, so we're constantly being bombarded with choices. We're constantly being bombarded with opportunities to say yes, no, <laughs> okay, pass it off, or whatever. Now, we all recognize that for the majority of us, the, many of those daily decisions are probably, where am I going to eat? You know, is it time to go to the washroom? You know, really insignificant decisions. But if it's true that the sum total of our lives is nothing more than all the decisions we have made up to that point, there are some decisions that are incredibly important. And some decisions that many of you know that are, are critical to the way your life is unfolded. You know, where, you know, the decision you made to go to school, the decision you made to get married, the decision you made to have children, the decision, you know, on and on and on. Those are such important decisions. And as we get into the wisdom books this morning, decisions are an important aspect of what it means to be wise. That what do we do with the decisions that we're bombarded with day in and day out? Is it just random? Do we just... Now, I'm going I'm to throw a, a curveball. Is it not true that once you become a Christian, making decisions somehow has become even harder? Because... Aren't we worried about the will of God in our decisions? Many of us um, struggle with that. I don't know, as, as, as a pastor for a number of years, I've been pastoring, I know that's a big, big concern, is what is the will of God for my life? And, and a lot of us struggle in that particular area of our lives. Is there is the ultimate plan that God has for my life? And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And, you know, I, in, in all the years that I've been at Heritage teaching, there has not been a year that a student has not asked me to go out and have coffee because they want to talk to me as their professor. And invariably, every time they want me to go and have coffee with them, they ask me the same question over and over and over again. I have no idea what God is doing in my life. I have no idea why I'm in school. Um, could you possibly tell me what God's will is for my life? Okay? That's a little bit like uh, Christian fortune-telling, if, you know, if not to find a point on it, because I have no idea what God has for their life or why they're in school. In fact, when I was in school, I had no idea why I was in school either. I'll be brutally honest with you. God had closed so many doors and sort of forced the position to put me into school. And, I, you know, it's a long, long story. But I can remember thinking at my particular stage of life, why am I doing this? And the result is, here I am, you know. But many of you have been in that position where, what is God's will for my life? What, is, what does God want for me? You know, what is, what is it that... I'm supposed to be doing. And many of us, you know, often say, did I marry the right person? Was I outside of God's will? 
Did I go to the wrong school? Was I outside of God's will? You know, all of those questions. Can I, can I just comfort you with a particular truth that I believe? If you've made a wrong decision, and it's such a bad decision that it upsets God, He's going to change it on you. I, I firmly believe that if the decision isn't something that's sanctified by the will of God, maybe might not, you know, have a clear voice for you, but we have options because God's given us a brain, believe it or not, and we can make those decisions. But if it's absolutely outside of the will of God, God will change it. God will redirect it. Or God is, sometimes God has given us an opportunity to learn something that we could not learn on the path that we're presently on. And he's equipping us and preparing us for something much greater. Okay? How many of you remember that Moses was 40 years out in the wilderness before God actually used him? And wasn't that the question that Moses said at the burning bush? It was like, me? Okay? Maybe the guy 40 years ago when I was there would have been the person. But for 40 years, God equipped him, redirected him, prepared him for something. And for some of you, you're in the wilderness right now, and you're wondering if you're in the will of God, where in reality, you're probably in a Moses situation, and God's preparing you for something better, greater, or teaching you something that you need to learn right now. Well, that's a hard truth, isn't it? But many of us feel that we're outside the will of God. And I would argue from the wisdom books that we have choices to make and that it's okay to make those choices. Do we make wrong decisions sometimes? Absolutely. Okay? But that's not always saying that it's outside the will of God. God doesn't want you to be living everything in perfection. Okay? But he does want you to grow you and mature you. And decisions are a big, big part of it. So if we're getting inundated with 35,000 decisions on a regular basis, I'm going to just take us to one passage. I know the, the bulletin and that had a whole bunch of passages. I'm just going to take us to one passage, and I'm just going to deal with that one passage. And we're going to talk a little bit about decisions and, and stuff like that. Here we are in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, and then I'm going to jump to 25 to 27. So here is the writer of Proverbs saying this, my child, listen to me and do as I say. How many parent has ever said that? Okay, sorry. Okay. And you will have a long, good life. I don't know if I've ever added that to my kids, you know. <laughs> okay. Maybe that's the part I missed. Okay. If you do this, guess what? You're going to be rewarded. Okay. Uh, I will teach you wisdom's ways and lead you in straight paths. You know, I want to know what child is going to say, okay, Dad, you're pretty wise. <laughs> what do most kids say? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every parent's been there, okay? So this is vitally important. 
vitally important. And I'll lead you in straight paths. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked and keep your feet from following evil. Those are pretty um, basic directions, okay? Isabel, you've probably said this to your whole family time and time again, haven't you? No? Just don't. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is basic parental guidance in all of this. And what is this at the very heart? Is a parent pleading with a child to make good decisions? Choose wisely. Choose well. Choose in a way that it's going to be beneficial for your life not a detriment to your life. I think one of the most tragic things, especially in the Christian world, that we undermine ourselves. We undermine our own success. We undermine our own relationships. We undermine you know, our, our own ministries. We undermine so much when God's intention for everyone, especially people who are followers of Jesus Christ, that we make wise decisions. That we make decisions that, you know, is it awful to say that benefit us? That God cares so much for us that he's given us the tools to make wise decisions so that we live a life of success. Now, I know success is not a good word, but in the wisdom literature, success is actually used in the literature that you make good decisions so your life is better because of the decisions you make that God has given us the capacity, God has given us his revelation, God has given us enough to know what, what path we should be placing our feet upon for the benefit of our own lives. And how many of us have made such bad decisions that it's undermined our own life? How many of us struggle with even serving God because we're so overcommitted with other things or we're so financially in so much trouble that we can't do the things that we would like to do because of the bad decisions we have made personally? Now, that's, that's a hard truth, isn't it? Okay, but how many regrets do we have because of the bad decisions? we have made. So this is a, a parent pleading with a child not to sort of follow in, in other people's footsteps, that here are the tools, and if you listen, I'm going to pass on to you the tools in order to make a wise decision. Now, this goes back to a whole other uh, mantra that I keep giving to you as a church and this is another one of those passages where I get this from, where disposition determines your direction and direction determines your destination. That's on the next slide. You're going to see the progression here. Um, and this is, this is exactly what, what passages like this determine. Now, what's your disposition? This disposition is a reflection of, the, of your values, of our values. And they ultimately guide the decisions and the choices that we make, that the values of our disposition, if we, if we want to honor God, that's a disposition that we have in our lives. And hopefully the decisions that we make to honor God 
are done because we have that disposition. And we couldn't care less about God. Our decisions and our choices are going to be made to satisfy our own desires. They're going to you know, satisfy our own you know, initiations of what we think our life should look like. And it doesn't matter. So it's important what your disposition is, okay? And the fact of the matter is, the more complex the world has become, the more complex our decisions and our choices are going to be. Okay? I don't know about you, but when I grew up, we had two genders. There's 46 today. Okay? Arguments aside about that, I wouldn't want to be opening up a clothing store with 46 genders. <laughs> you know what I mean? You think life has not gotten complicated? And you think it hasn't gotten complicated for young people? Absolutely. All arguments aside, life has just gotten incredibly complex. Decisions and choices we make have become incredibly complex. And they're going to continue to become complex. So wisdom is vitally important, especially as things become more complex than that. So Platinga wrote, and I love this quote, wisdom is, broadly speaking, the knowledge of God's world and the knack of fitting oneself into it. This is the beautiful part of the wisdom literature. The wisdom literature is, is like, look around you, you know, experience the world around you. How has God made everything? How has God you know, revealed himself in everything? And align yourself with those you know, values and those kinds of things. This is what God's revelation has, has made. God's revelation isn't just so we can sit around a table and talk about eschatology, a super, you know supernaturalism or, or all of the, you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism, all of those things are valuable. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, they're to teach us how to live our lives as wise people. Okay? You know, it, it, it breaks my heart to watch people make decisions that undermine their lives all, all the time. There's enough, you know, there's enough headwind in life. There's enough negative uh, force. The last thing we need to do is facilitate our own demise or to facilitate our own difficulties in life. Yeah. Now, you know, why, why do I think this is important? Because I believe that the Lord is looking for believers who can make wise decisions. I'm not... I'm not talking to anybody here. I'm talking to somebody online who's probably in another part of the world. Okay, I'm not talking to anybody here. Okay? Just to be clear. You all look very wise. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Don't judge a book by its cover. No, those kind. Okay, all right. Thank you for derailing that point. <laughs> In fact, I think the world, I think the church desperately needs people of wisdom. Desperately. Desperately. 
Gordon Fee and Doug Stewart also wrote this. They said, wisdom is the discipline of applying truth to one's life in the light of experience, okay? Many of you are at a point in your life where you've had enough experience that if somebody was to say to you, I think I'm going to do this, your first reaction is you're crazy, right? That's, that's the beautiful thing about experience. And unfortunately, we live in a world that does not value older people for their wisdom. I think that's tragic, absolutely tragic, okay? No insult to younger people, please, okay? But I think what breaks my heart is the generational battle that exists right now before older, between older people and younger generation. I think I have not seen it so protracted as I have lately. It's really like a big gap where previous arguments of generations weren't at as volatile as they are today, but today they're in, I think they're incredibly volatile. Okay? So, how do we make good decisions? All right? What you're going to hear from here to the end of this message has been stolen. Okay, this isn't original with me. Um, so I'm going to give you five points. This is not original with me. This comes from Andy Stanley. I struggled with whether I, I was going to even do this, but this was so good, I couldn't, like, it, it would be criminal for me not to present this stuff. It's so good. It comes from his book, um, uh, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And he gives five questions you need to ask before making a decision. And imagine if you asked all these five questions every 35,000 times. <laughs> You'd be exhausted. Okay, so let's be clear. These are just for the really important things in life, okay? All right, let's be clear about that. You know, you don't ask these about, you know, whether I want to have lunch today, okay? Or where do I want to have lunch? Okay, these are really important. But this is, this is really, really good stuff. You should get his book if you want to deal with this on, in, in, in any way, shape, or form. I'm just going to give you the five filters or the five questions, and I think these are really, really good, okay? Um, first one is, why am I doing this? There's the first filter. Why am I doing this? You've got to be honest with yourself. Um, one of the things that um, undermines our ability to make decisions really well is that we lie to ourselves very easily. Very easily. And we've got to be brutally honest with ourselves as to why am I doing this? What is it? What's motivating me? Um, you know... <sighs> If we, can't, if, we, if we can't lead ourselves really well, we're not going to lead our families really well. We're not going to lead um, you know, organizations really well. We're not going to lead the church really well. We're just, we're just not. If we're lying to ourselves and we don't lead ourselves really well, it affects everybody else. Every decision you make, whether you believe it or not, has some kind of collateral effect to the people around you. So why am I doing this? Decision number one. Here's, here's the second one, and I love this one personally. What story do I want to tell? Okay? In other words, what is the ultimate, not the immediate? Sometimes we make decisions because it's immediately gratifying, but we know over the long term it's not going to be a good story that we're going to get to tell. It's, in fact, it might become one of the regrets down the road. Okay? 
We have, we have a, a, a tendency to think that every decision is in isolation. But the fact is, um, every decision becomes a permanent part of our story. Permanent part of our lives. And eventually, um, it becomes the greater narrative of our lives. And remember we talked about last week, sometimes the narrative, the internal narrative is more damaging than anything else. Because that's why words have power. Because they affect the way we make decisions. And they affect the way we see the world around us. Um, here's, here's number three. This, this one is a struggle for me. Is there a tension uh, that deserves my attention? He says, pay attention to the tension. Some of us may, may have a gut feeling about making this decision, or about that person, or about that relationship, or about that job, or about whatever. Okay? He says, if you've got attention, pay attention to it, that there's something probably going on. Anytime, personally, anytime I have attention about a decision, I usually pause. I, I, that's one, one of the first red flags for me personally is if I have a tension about something, I pause and I wait. And a lot of times, the, the area that I do agree with him is that a lot of times if you pause, if you wait, more information often shows up or something else happens that can either confirms or, you know, agrees with the tension that you're living with. Okay. And that's, and that's something that's happened in my life numerous, numerous times. It begins, and over time, that, that tension starts to make sense as to why you're feeling it, okay? You have to be very, very careful that it doesn't become a confirmation bias, but that's a whole other thing. But new information often brings new insight and clarity, okay? The fourth question is this, what is the wise thing to do? Okay, A lot of you would have thought that would have been the first question. That's what I would have thought. What is the wise thing to do? Okay, Notice, what I like about what Andy says, not what is the right thing to do, but what is the wise thing to do. Your greatest regret is generally preceded by a series of unwise decisions. Okay, a lack of wisdom is what brings us to the precipice of a decision we wish we could go back or unmake. Okay, and he, he says this, in light of my past experience, what is the wise thing to do? In light of my current circumstances and the state of mind that I'm in, what is the wise thing for me to do? In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing that I should do? He, like, he, he frames it in, in that kind of way. And I think that's a really powerful question. In fact, to be honest with you, if you were to erase all five questions and just pull out one, this to me would be the most important one. If, if, you, if you don't want to bother with all five and you say, I need, I need one question, this would be the question. And I, and I would argue that, it, that that would kind of you know, answer better than any other question combined, okay? Here's the last one. What does love require of me? Now, as a believer, this is really important because we're not just talking about cultural love. We're talking about the love that Jesus commanded every single believer to, to live out. 
You know, Jesus says the new commandment that I give you, and it was to love one another. And he said, and, and he said, and and listen, he didn't leave it there. He didn't stop at that statement. He said, I want you to love one another. He clarified it further by saying, as I have loved you. In fact, he gave us the model. He gave us the picture. He gave us the, the, you know, the priority of how that love should be enacted in our lives. Okay? We have those marching orders. Now, I think that's pretty, you know, I think that's pretty powerful, those five questions. And I said, you know, um, I think God is looking for the church, for the people of faith, to be people who make wise decisions. Okay. Um, so let's not kid ourselves. Let's be people of wisdom. Let's be people who demonstrate God-given abilities to discern what is happening and to make decisions that not only benefit us personally, but benefit the relationships that we are part of, the culture that we're a part of, so that we can impact the world for Jesus. Okay? Next week is the last part of this series, and we're going to wrap this all up because this has kind of been the negative aspect. We're going to look at the positive. What does is, what is the wisdom literature tell us about living in the world, living in the culture, and how do we best navigate wisdom in the world that we're a part of? Amen? Isn't it great to be wise? It's, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. But it's great to be wise. And I pray we become people of wisdom. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you. Yeah, your word has so much power, especially in the world that we live in. We know that many people are struggling today to, to make good decisions. And Lord, the word, world is becoming more complex. The world is becoming more difficult. The world is becoming more conflicted. Um, Lord, we, we need a template. We need a, guidelines. We need filters to be able to navigate the complexity of this world, but to do so in a way that is wise. Lord, we're going to stumble from time to time. We know that. Lord, we're going to find it difficult to discern your will from time to time. We know that. But Lord, help us to be better at understanding your word, understanding your revelation, understanding the world around us, and help us as parents, as educators, as friends, as family members, as, as leaders in institutions and in churches to make decisions that are seen as wise and are blessed by the Lord because they reflect the nature and character of God. So, Lord, bless us this morning as we continue to understand wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.